If you would open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Our Advent series for evening worship uh, these last couple weeks has been focusing on what God came to do, what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to reveal who God was. He came to take on flesh. And we see here in this text in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, that he came to redeem us from under the law. Before we read the text, there's a great quote by an older theologian who's long been passed away by the name of J. Gresham Machen. And he says this, What I need, first of all, is not exhortation, but a gospel. Not directions for saving myself, but knowledge of how God has saved me. Do you have any good news? That is the question I ask of you. I know your exhortations will not help me. But if anything has been done to save me, will you not tell me about those facts? That is our number one need. Is there any good news? Galatians chapter 4, just two verses, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you do all that it takes just for a few short minutes to focus our attention? We might have many plans for later tonight, but we are asking that above all that you would help us to see the most important person the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there are any of those in here who are not born again, would you sovereignly call them to yourself tonight? And for all of us, would you grant us more of an understanding, more of a fear, and more of an awe of your love for us in the gospel of grace? We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. We love to find anything that we can take credit for. There's a funny story about Chicago Bulls basketball player Stacy King, who remembers the night when he and Michael Jordan, he says, he and Michael Jordan combined for 70 points. Well, Stacy King only had one point, Michael Jordan had 69 of those points. But he loves to say, well, me and Jordan combined for 70. Now, obviously, that's a funny story about a guy who played with the greatest ever. But it does actually show us something we love to do. We love to find anything we can take credit for. We want to do anything we can to take credit. Credit for what Jesus has done for us. We love a good old rags to riches story. 
But the reality of the gospel is that it's the opposite. The reality of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came from infinite riches to rags. I love what Michael Horton has said. I am a Christian not because I think I can walk in Jesus' footsteps. Rather, I am a Christian because Jesus is the only one who can carry me. I am not the gospel. Jesus Christ alone is the gospel. This text shows us precisely that, that Jesus has come to do what we could not do. That the Son of God took on flesh so that he might live the life that we could not live, that he would die the death we could not die, and he would rise from the dead which we could not do. First off, look at verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. In the gospel of grace, what we see here is that Jesus Christ came at the fullness of time. One thing, if you're learning about Christianity or you're reading the Bible, one thing you will, you will know about God is this. God is never early, nor is he ever late. Amen? He is always right on time. Indeed, he controls time. That's a general principle, but it is especially true in redemption. It says here, when did Jesus Christ come? When he came 2,000 years ago, he came at the fullness of time. He came exactly when he needed to. With everything that was happening in world history at the time, everything that was happening in North America, South America, even what was happening with the penguins wherever they were in the Antarcticas. That is a joke. You can laugh at that. With the Roman Empire that had taken over Israel, with all the political turmoil that was happening in Jerusalem, Jesus came at the perfect time in world history. Jesus also came at the perfect time when Satan uh, was attacking God's people and was doing anything he could to prevent that redemption. But Jesus Christ also came at the perfect time because he fulfilled all the prophecies concerning him. He came in the fullness of time. But what's really interesting is that as you read the story of the Bible, what you see is that the fullness of time that Jesus came to was the exact time when the people of Israel seemed to have lost all hope. God seems to over and over and over bring his salvation right at the moment when we've given up all hope. And maybe that's a good thing because it's in those moments that we realize that only God can save us. Amen? You might be visiting Grace Stillwater. I am a feedback preacher. I want to make sure you're alive. And also the word amen means I believe. And I want to know if you believe it. Oh, there we go. You see, Jesus Christ came when the world was at its darkest. He was the light who came into the world. He came when the people of Israel had been conquered, but yet he was going to be the true Israel who would bring true redemption. He came when the only option 
was that God with, with him, if he was going to bring about a redeemer, it would not be by man's ability. It would not be by natural birth. It would be a virgin conception, a virgin birth. Because only God can bring about the salvation of man. We cannot contribute anything to it. When God's people had lost all hope, that is exactly when he stepped on the scene. If something the gospel is declaring to us, that God has done all things and we contribute nothing to it. And that's good news. Because if he provides everything, then we simply need to trust him. Amen? God loves to often bring us between the rock and a hard place or between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army because he loves to deliver us in such a way where it is abundantly clear that he alone is sovereign. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son. Now, when it says he sent his son, that word son is actually first and foremost a divine term. We believe In God, the Trinity, there is one God in three persons. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not three different gods, and when you combine them together, you get God. That's not what we believe. It's also not that God, in different points in history, just wears three different masks. That's not what we believe. We believe in one God in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But it is not three gods, it's one God. Does that blow your mind? Well, he's the infinite one. And we are finite beings who have our minds stretched as he is revealing himself to us. Here's why this is so important. Because when it says God sent his Son... God did not send someone who was on the B team. You ever been on the B team or the JV team before? And you're just hoping that would be the year you'd get bumped up to varsity, but you still have to play with the ninth graders. I clearly have never experienced that before. When it says that God sent his son, it means that he sent himself. It could not possibly be better. He didn't waste anything. He he didn't hold back anything at all. He sent himself. And notice this, that when it says he sent his son, notice that it does not say that when Jesus came to earth, he became the son of God. He did not. He has always been the son of God. And because he has always been God, it means he and he alone can bring us back to God. Amen? It means that at Christmas 2,000 years ago, the infinite became imminent. The author of life came to die. The God of love came to be rejected by men. And the creator became one of his creatures. It's what John (laughs) means when he quotes Jesus in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. 
You see, when Jesus Christ came, he was nothing less than very God of very God. And it's only if he is God, only if he's God, can you and I be saved. Amen? But it also says he was born of woman. This is not merely referring to the virgin birth. It's not even the main sense that is portrayed here. Obviously, it is very true and it is orthodox that Jesus was born of the virgin. But when it says that he was born of woman, what does it mean? It actually goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3.15. Because when God was cursing Satan, he gave the first promise of the gospel. And he said that there would be a seed, an offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. So when we see Paul saying here that he was born of woman, Paul is saying this, Jesus Christ is that man. He is the snake crusher. He is the one who came to redeem God's people. He is who the Bible and all of world history is all about. Amen? When it says he was born of woman, that Greek word there literally means he became of woman. And it's putting the emphasis here. It's not merely that he is God, but he is man. Jesus Christ is like you and me in every single way, yet without sin. And he better be. Because the moment that he is not truly like one of us, he cannot save us. Also, at the same time, the moment he is not truly God, he can't bring us back to God. He must be God and man. That means this. You can never read the Bible and say, well, that's Jesus. That's different. That, my friends, is what we call heresy. And you always got to say heresy like this. We can never say that's Jesus. That's different. Because the moment Jesus is different is the moment he cannot save you and me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because as that baby was born, and as he grew older, at one point he had to go through the same life stage as Jude. I mean, look at him. Seriously, look at him. I don't mean it like that. You're great. But he literally went through that stage. Goofy. Walking around, playing with toys. And that was God Almighty in the flesh 2,000 years ago. He was running the whole world, all the supernovas that were out there, even as he was goo-gooing and gaga. It's amazing. He was like us in every single way, yet without sin. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Again, (laughs) the author Uh, To the Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
Rather, we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's the spotless lamb. He is the son of God and he is the son of man. This is your savior. Amen? And when he came, he came under the fullness of the law. You see that next. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Jesus did not come to give a new law. He did not come just to take God's law and toss it aside and say that's not relevant anymore. It says he came under the law. You see, if you and I are going to be saved, you must have works. You did hear me right just then. If you and me are going to be saved, then God's law must be fulfilled. You and me are saved by works. I'm trying to be as clear as possible here. You and me are saved by works, but not our works. Not even remotely close to our works. Not our works contributing to it. Not our works aiding it. Not our works adding on top of it. Nothing ever to do with our works. Matter of fact, you don't just need to repent of your sins. You need to repent of any reliance upon your good works and solely depend upon the works of Jesus Christ. Because he was born under the law. He fulfilled the law. In every single moment, every single stage of his life, every thought, every desire, every word, every conflict, every relationship, even when he was taking the wrath of God on the cross, every moment, perfect. He never sinned once. He didn't even have a sinful nature. And it's only if he fulfills the law of God that he can bring us out from being under it. Amen? Even though the law of God has been broken, it does not go away. And that poses a major problem for every one of us in here. I like to say this a lot whenever I preach. One thing we can often do whenever we hear preaching is that we can say, man, I wish so-and-so were in here to hear this. Or we do this. I wish so-and-so down the row from me or maybe sitting right next to me who I'm giving elbows to, I wish they would hear this. My friends, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. God's dealing with you. And the major problem for you and me right now is that without Jesus Christ, God is demanding perfection, not your best efforts. He is demanding perfect, perpetual, personal obedience. And you don't have it. And just because you don't have it does not mean that the law goes away. 
It means you must fly to Jesus Christ right now. And you must believe upon Him and Him alone. Regardless of how bad your life has been or how bad it could be, you must fly to Him and Him alone because only He has the works that can save you. Amen? Do you believe that? It's the only way you can be saved. The law, God's law without a Savior for us is cruel. Not because it's wrong or it's sinful. No, it's perfect and it's holy. But we are the problem. You know, actually, <laughs> one, of, one of, really, we could say maybe our biggest problem is this. Our biggest problem is the fact that God is good. Why is that our problem? Because we're not. And God's law reveals who He is, and it points out every single thing that has ever happened in our lives. It points out not just the things that you've done, but the things that you've thought, the things that you've felt, your sinful nature. It's a problem. It's a problem that is an eternal problem. And when we realize what the law is doing, we will agree with Martin Luther who said this. Indeed, the law accuses and terrifies us. And Jesus Christ had to come and be underneath the law so that it could be totally set upon him so it could horribly assault him. You realize that, right? If Jesus Christ was going to save us, he could not only just be perfect, he must also take what you and me deserve. And so Luther says, the anguish that we should feel fell on him. The terror that we should feel fell on him. As it fell upon no man who has ever lived on the face of the earth, it fell on him. He came not to make a law, but to feel and suffer the terrors of the law as have never been felt before. All so that you and I, when we come to Jesus Christ, would never feel that. Amen? That's what it means for him to be born under the law. You know, my dad likes to say as a veterinarian, <laughs> one of the ways he says how he likes his steaks. He likes his steaks where they're, they're red enough where a good veterinarian has a good chance to revive the cow. When we get back to the theme of thinking how we love to find anything we can contribute to, one of the things we love to think about ourselves spiritually is that God needs a little bit of our help. That we're still a little bit alive. We still have a little bit of a chance. He helps us out a lot. But we contribute something. But my friends, that's again what we call heresy. You contribute nothing. But in Jesus Christ, you get everything. You don't even contribute anything to keep that salvation. Jesus Christ gives you everything. Even the good works that you do as a Christian, as he grows you in godliness and holiness, the only reason why you are able to do those things is because he empowers you to do it. But those good works never add to the works of Jesus Christ. 
It is all of him for your whole life. You believe that? And if you believe that, then it says that there is redemption in him. He was born under the law for what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When it says redeem, it means to free someone by purchasing them. And particularly here when it says to redeem, it means a one-time act. It means this. Don't you dare think that you can add something to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, repent of that idea. Which, by the way, Christians are always learning to repent of that idea. Because we love to figure out, Jesus, I think you need a little bit of my help here. No, he doesn't. He's got it. He made a one-time payment 2,000 years ago on that cross. And that one-time payment was so sufficient that anyone who came before him in world history, they were saved merely by looking forward to the Savior. And anyone who has come after Jesus Christ is saved in the same way by simply looking to that same Savior. Everyone always, regardless of the ethnicity, regardless of what sins you have, Everyone is always and only saved by simply believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has paid for our sins. Amen? Martin Luther again says, Christ, therefore, by this victory, banished the law out of our conscience. So that now the law can no more confound us in the sight of God. It cannot drive us to desperation and it cannot condemn us because Christ has redeemed us. Amen? This is why I would plead with you, dear believer, to stop living like God needs your works. And we all try to do it. He doesn't. The Christian life and growing in Christian maturity is learning more and more to trust every single day that Jesus is enough for you. And that actually produces good works. Amen? So what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What it means to believe in Jesus Christ is not merely to believe in him as if you just believe in the historical fact that he existed. Even Satan believes that. Even Judas Iscariot believed that who was with Jesus himself. That's not faith. You have to believe in his historical reality. But faith is more than that. Faith is believing that Jesus Christ really is who he is. And faith is believing that Jesus Christ really has done what he has done. And it's depending upon that alone for your salvation. There are those of you in this room who need to believe in Jesus Christ tonight. Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you've heard these Christmas sermons all the time. But you've never really believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you were pulled here by your family members who said, well, all of us are going and we don't want you to be left at home alone. So now you're here. We're so glad you're here. But you need to believe in Jesus Christ. The only way to be saved 
is by looking to him and saying, Jesus, I believe in who you are and I believe that you've come to save sinners like me. Do you believe that? Let's pray.